Welcome to the SR Strategic Sourcing Podcast. My name is Gary Tinsley and I'm joined here today by my colleague Susan Rashid. Hello Sue, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you Gary. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, yeah. Um, so in this podcast, we're going to discuss the importance of cash and cash flow in inventory management and what we're going to call SKU categorization, which we'll explain shortly. So as usual, I'll kick us off with a bit of a background and a bit of an analogy. Um, so it's a well-known fact that more businesses go bust due to lack of cash than through being unprofitable. So, you know, we're going to focus today on, on cash flow and, 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 and managing your, your stock and your products accordingly. So within the current assets section of your balance sheet, cash is your least liquid asset. For example, if you've got six months stock of an item, and then in addition to that, you've got a customer that pays you on 90 days, then potentially, even if your stock sells, it's going to be at least nine months before that stock turns to cash. And if it doesn't sell, it's effectively your cash just sat on a shelf, earning nothing, diminishing in quality and diminishing in value over time. And as I've put on our article, your cash is blowing in the wind. So this is the first of, of, of two podcasts where we're going to discuss this. As I say, today, we're going to focus on inventory management and categorizing, stratifying, whatever term you want to use, your SKUs or products codes to make sure that you've segmented them effectively and are managing them well. In the follow-up podcast, we're going to talk about procurement's role in optimizing inventory management. And there's many, many things that procurement can do um, to help in this area to make sure you've got your optimum stock turn, free-flowing cash, um, and, and, and the best sort of balance sheet that you can have, because procurement has a major role in affecting that. Okay, so that's where we're going with this. So the first thing that I want to bring up is categorizing or stratifying, um, terms I've used in my past, a skew. So first of all, what is a skew? A skew is a stock keeping unit or in other organizations, certainly in my automotive past, it was just called a product code um, or, or a code, but it's an item that you purchase and an item that you then ultimately sell, okay? So in terms of our SKUs, um, if some will be more uh, important than others. So in many cases, you could say, well, surely you look after the SKUs that's the highest value. They're the ones that's going to have the most important impact um, on stock. And somebody else might say, well, actually, hang on a minute. You, you probably don't need to look after them in terms of the highest volume, the one that sells the most. So in my past, in my background, we've had this term usage value. So it's almost like sorting your products that you buy into descending value or descending usage value order. So you times the usage by the value to get a total for that. 
and then you sort in that descending value order. So you capture all of the high value items and you also capture all predominantly all of the high volume items. And if you think about that from a Pareto analysis perspective, uh, Pareto would say the top 20% of your items by usage value are the ones that matter. Look after them and the rest don't really matter. And to be fair, he's not far off right. Um, I don't know what you, but, but there are some fundamental flaws in that theory. I, I, I agree, Gary. I think, I think as a basis, it's really important to, to use Pareto. Uh, and I think it generally, in the, in the main, um, works really, really well. However, there are always the items that are low value, but very, very critical for a business. Yeah. You know, That's that you right. can't live without. And if you ignore those, you could, in, in, my, in my background, could stop production. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, have you had those type of items? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think I think it's good as a basis, but I don't think it's the only tool that you should use when when understanding your, your inventory and managing your inventory. Definitely not. And remember again, I remember from my past in automotive. If you think about a vehicle, um, you know, the Pareto doesn't think about that item where there's one on every vehicle. And it might not even be the most expensive no. item either. But there's one on every vehicle. And like you rightfully say, if you run out of that, your production line stops. Um, so, yeah, so I think, so I think, and I, and, and, but I do agree. And I think you're right too in what you say, that fundamentally Pareto is sort of right. Yeah, absolutely. Pareto is one-dimensional. And, and the key thing that Pareto doesn't think about is risk yeah. uh, and and that and that's that that little low value low volume item that's uh, that's there's one of on, on everything that you make do you, do you know what it always makes me think back to my automotive days when um, i used to work for a company that used to make um car seat fabric yeah and um that 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 one one part might be um, a spare part for a weaving machine yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you yeah. haven't got it in stock, that weaving machine, that part breaks, you haven't got it in stock, that weaving machine could be sat there idle for six weeks. Yeah, yeah. What's the term for that in SIPs? I'm just trying to remember. That's a um, MRO item. Yes, MRO, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maintenance repair operating item, yeah. So it might not, it's a great example, that. So it might not even be something that you're using to make whatever it is you're making. That example you're giving is a, is a spare part for the machine that makes it. <laughs> it is, Gary. I I I remember this so well because I can remember those situations when I was hunting around for these spare parts to you know buying spare parts for a hundred year old weaving machines. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember it well. Yeah, they're not a standard off the shelf item, are they? No, they're not. They're not. No. <laughs> so yeah, no, that and that's the sort of stuff that with the that we're thinking about here so you know it's a great example so if we move on from from Pareto um you then move on so Pareto is a one-dimensional model focusing on spend really or in this case usage value only and, uh, and then we move on to 
Kraljic, which is two-dimensional. And so Kraljic's thinking about spend usage value, but it's the big difference is Kraljic is also considering risk. Um, and your example, Sue, is a great example of effectively using Kraljic of a bottleneck item, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, yeah, bottleneck item. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so if what you'd sort of you, you sort of got to overlay your Pareto analysis and almost so what to give it some context, those items that's the top 20% of your usage value, um, they will effectively be your A lines and they will be the one that needs the ones that need key focus. And we'll come back to that in a minute. The ones that you're talking about, that your item for the weaving machine or my item where there's one in every vehicle on a usage value basis might be a D line because it's so low volume and so low value, but it's important in your inventory management to identify them. That, because of the risk factor. Yeah. That could kill you and almost manage them like A lines. Yes. Was that the sort of thing that you, that you did in your... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We we had, um, we applied the Pareto, um, but we also um, used the Kraljic mod model, really, to identify. We looked, you know, look, looked at all the high-risk items um, and, and made them a priority too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and, and, and because once, um, once you've found that D item, that's like your, your example and, and my example, and make it an A, you're effectively de-risking your yeah. chances of not having it, aren't you? Yeah, it means you're not going to ignore it. It's always going to be top of the list priority. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. So when so when we have, so moving on to these different classifications, then. So once you've um, identified, because Pareto, as I say, Pareto fundamentally is right, and once you identify those top twenty percent of your SKUs, product codes by usage value, you will effectively make them your A lines. Okay. Yeah. And then from your A lines, and I'm going to give you an example in a minute from, from, from my past, but principally your A lines are the ones that need the absolute focus and the ones that make a difference. So if I refer to my, as an example, my education past when I worked in the education industry, we had 20,000 stock keeping units and we categorized them at the, at the front end into triple A's, double A's and A's. But of those 20,000 stock keeping units, we had 500 triple A's. Um, I'm not even sure what that percentage is. It's a very, very small percentage, but we had 500 triple A's. And we all we sort of knew that if we had all those 500 triple A's in stock, we'd always be above 95% service level. So, for example, if a customer ordered 20 items we and we had 19 in stock, that's 95% service level. And if we had all of our 500 A, triple A's in, we was always above 95% service level. But if you had just four or five of those that was out of stock, your service level would drop to 91, Absolutely. 92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and for us, for your entertainment, our number one selling item, we've sold products to all the schools in the UK, and our number one selling item was toilet rolls. Because <laughs> 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 that's on every order. Uh, and if, I don't want to get into the, the complications if you run out of them, but it's not, mm. not good. Not good for your... Well, all that happens if you run out of them, to be fair, is the customer goes somewhere else. And if the customer goes somewhere else, then they might not come back. Okay. Yeah, and that's that. That's, that's the, the... That's an important point, actually. You yeah. Because, I mean, I always think about it from a manufacturing background, but, um, you know, if, if you're if you're selling products like that to, to schools, and they, that is the risk. If the It's like Argos, isn't it? If you, yeah. If, Stock's not there. They're going to go elsewhere. They'll go to, I don't know, Office World or wherever it is. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a that's the risk in itself, isn't it? Without doubt, without doubt, and and that's what happens if you know those items, those AAA items are on every order. It's like, like I say, toilet rolls, photocopy paper, you know, exercise books, the all the thing, the, the things that leap out at you. The schools are going to need. They're always on. Virtually it's every core, core product, isn't it? Yeah, they're on virtually every order. And if you're saying, "Oh well, I haven't got any exercise books, and we haven't got any photocopy paper," the the the, the other end are going to go, "Yes, yeah, okay." And then what? We'll, we'll just go, just try somebody else then. And if they try somebody else, and that somebody else is good, you know, I thought it's the stat. I think it's seven times harder to recruit a new customer than to keep one. So yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the um, the challenge that we had, and so consequently. Uh, in my role, you know, my role there was buying director, buying a merchandising director, actually. But I would come in every morning and and every first thing I would do every day was look at my triple A's out of stock report. Mm. Ideally, it would have none on it. But if it had, if it had, say, three on it, I'd call in the respective stock controllers and say, well, one, why are we out of stock of this? Um and when's it coming? And what? And, and then, first of all, when's it? When's it coming? It needs to be today, or if not tomorrow. And then once we've got, once we've established supply, how has this happened? How are we going to make sure and a bit of root cause analysis that that this doesn't happen again? Um, because it's it, it it would have a tremendous impact on on service level. So triple A's we literally managed daily daily um and double a's and a's probably not far off daily and then a's maybe weekly but that was the level of focus and so so the, the Pareto principle is right in fairness if you, it, it, apart from the odd exception if you've got those triple a lines in double a lines in then you know you are going to be not in, in, a, in a in a good position um then you've got your B lines, which maybe B lines you might look at weekly to two weekly. C lines you might look at monthly. And then D lines, we didn't even order D lines. We ordered a D line if the customer ordered it. So, uh, you know, if the customer ordered it, we would then order the D line. So we didn't even stock those. Um, but it shows you the, um, you know, the, 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 the need for real um focus um i think i think every organization you know needs to really understand and categorize their products well um you know usage value risk i think they're the bit three big factors here um and, yeah. and i think it's fair to say that 
you know, every organisation will categorise their products differently. Um, I think, you know, in the organisation, well, one of the organisations I work for, they had about five different categories, um, you know, levels. Um, but yeah. starting off with Pareto and then breaking them down further. But I think it's it's different for every organisation. But I, I think understanding what you've got in terms of usage, value and risk is, is absolutely key, isn't it, to even begin to to um, put a strategy in place of how you're going to manage it. Definitely, definitely. That's another interesting point you make as well about, you know, in, in, in SIP studies, you know, we will deliver a, a Pareto ABC analysis. Yes, it's yes. even referred to, isn't it? Yeah. And there'll be A lines, B lines and C lines. But as you're saying, in reality, out there in the in the real world, it's, it's a lot more complex than yeah. that. Um, so, if, you know, in, in, in education, I had triple A's, double A's, A's, B's, C's, D's. And then it went on and on and on. New products were, I think they were peas actually. And and in my last business, we also categorized, we had X, Ys and Zs. So yeah. an X was something that hadn't sold for over six months. A Y hadn't sold for over a year. And a Z hadn't sold for over two years. If you think about those Zs, yeah. what are they doing with, you know, with regards to your cash? Yeah. We we used to have like X and Ys, which were raw materials, and and they both di meant different things. You know, X would be a raw material that we we're buying, and Y would be something that's on what we would class as run out. Um, and yeah. then we'd have consumables starting with different six, you know, one to six, and the one meant something, the two meant something, the three meant something. So yeah, so I think it's it's different from organisation, but the principle. I mean, Alfredo Pareto's principle of ABC and that is is absolutely absolute absolutely fundamental to inventory yeah. management i can't you know i can't get away with that but i think it should not be used on its own or in ignorance of any other factors such as risk uh, you yeah. know um but yeah it's, it's in, interesting yeah definitely and i think as about you know thinking about because i've mentioned zeds then it's stuck in my mind you know mm. zed hasn't sold for over two years and that's your cash sat on that shelf yeah and that that could also, and that's effectively what it is. If you if you go to a location in a warehouse of an item that hasn't sold for over two years, you should almost look at that as a box of cash sat on sat on a shelf. Yeah. And that, and, and even worse than that, if that product's got like a, a shelf life, um, or any like uh, I always remember we used to buy water based paint for education, you know, like the, the kids using primary school, and if that was. Uh, that had a shelf life of one year, and after one year, it, you could literally—it's no longer water-based paint. It's more effective as a hammer because it would just set, and yeah. it, it was then unusable. And I remember I was having to write some of that stuff off. And you lit—and that's the other thing from a finance perspective. That's gone over a year old, and it's gone over its shelf life. You can't sell it anymore, um, and so the only option that you've got is—you know—writing it off. And that effectively is just, again, if you're liking it back to cash, you're just literally throwing your cash in the bin, aren't you? Yeah. And, and so that's the importance of this stuff. And as I say, it's, I don't want to, in the next podcast, which will probably be much more detailed, it, it, we'll look at that and like what you can do to um, prevent that from happening. Yeah, avoid it, mitigate it. Yeah, yeah. To some extent, the inventory management guys, um, as I say, I don't want to steal from the next podcast, but the inventory management guys are, are effectively 
the recipient of what procurements arranged. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so that's what they've got to deal with. And yeah, so if you've done a fantastic, I got an amazing price, but it's because I've bought six months quantity, then it's not quite as easy as that. Um, it might be might look great on your savings target and your savings KPI, um, but, you know, again, we'll probably talk about this next time. You've got to look at the whole total cost of well, money. Yeah, and, and I suppose when you, you know, if you're buying six-month stocking, A, it's got to be stored somewhere. It's got to be managed. You know, there's a risk, de, you know, um, proliferation, you know, de depreciation. There's there's yeah. all sorts of risks associating and costs associated with holding inventory, isn't there? So, so yeah. yes, it's again, buying in bulk and it's, it's not ideal. But again, I don't want to steal from the next one because that's exciting. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that you made. I'm sure the stat... Is something like twenty percent or twenty five percent. If something sits on a shelf for over a year, uh, that will cost you effectively twenty to twenty five percent of its value. So if you've spent, I don't know, if you've spent a grand on some on some items sat in stock on a shelf and they don't move for over a year, that that's going to effectively cost you on average about two hundred to two hundred and fifty quid. Mm. Uh, just from it just from it sitting there like you were saying it's a very valid point it also taking up your space in your warehouse you know Adam I can remember a scenario where we, we was having to rent space in a second warehouse <laughs> we did that. our warehouse was full and you're like well but our warehouse was full of um so, to not to not go into expletives but <laughs> full of stuff it shouldn't have been full of <laughs> yeah um, and it was just down to you know bad inventory management and, and and prior to that poor procurement really um and and yeah so it's um what procurement does has an enormous effect on on inventory yeah. management. and it's okay. it's getting it's getting those levels right as well isn't it you know there's it's one thing having too much stock but there's also another hit of impacting on service levels you're not having enough so it's expanding well, that as well that's a great point that that's a great point and it just reminds me of um i think the the job of the inventory manager so i always think of um like the <coughs> the hamster running on the wheel it's like it, it, that that job for me is is because because i've managed it um and, and and had inventory managers work for me as well that that job for me is it's like never ending and almost a thankless task is probably too strong a word. But, but basically, like, like you say, Sue, if if my service... I remember going to the board meeting as well, and I'd turn up at the board meeting and say things like, service level, 97%, what a great job we're doing, what do you think? And the chief operating officer would say, yeah, that's because you're carrying too much stock. And you'd yeah. be like, oh, God. And then the following month, you'd turn up and say, look, I've managed to get the stock down uh, significantly by you know like a, a half a million pounds worth that's good isn't it oh yeah you've got your stock down but your service level <laughs> so I remember those so, conversations yeah so there's always either way it's a kicking you know the only way you're going to get and you probably wouldn't even get complimented then is if you turn up at that meeting and your service level is 98 and you're carrying next to no stock yeah. and that's like the ultimate challenge isn't it for the the inventory manager yeah, it is. Had, it's not easy had, to achieve by any means. It isn't, and and, and and this is why I feel so, sorry for them because you can do that as well. Let's say you do it for six months, 
and then you have a bad couple of weeks or or a ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal and <laughs> and then yeah. suddenly and then suddenly you run out of stock of a few key items and your service level drops to 92 and you turn up at the ball meeting and then there's another kicking coming. So it, is, it really is, um, it's a tough, tough, um, tough job. And you're right, you know, that that balance, this is where cash is so key, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, in an environment, you know, and me and you both worked in just-in-time environments, but in the modern environment, you're trying to keep your, and rightfully so, your stock down to a minimum value so that you're freeing up your cash, which is what, you know, this, this podcast is fundamentally about, uh, whilst at the same time still trying to achieve, you know, unbelievably high service levels in an environment where customers are just so demanding, aren't they? Yeah, so going lean, but without going anorexic. Yeah, yeah, it's like going lean and all, but making sure you've still got it, yeah. So it's, it's, it, it is it is a an interesting one. I know I know on a, and as a, as a planter help that I know that on a, when I gave you the example earlier of the five hundred, sorry yeah the five hundred triple A's, we had a strategy in place that for all five hundred of them to have a plan B, you know to have an alternative. That's yeah. that's not <laughs> easy to make happen, but the more of that five hundred that you've got an alternative source for, again the less risk of you um, going out of stock. Um, but yeah, but it wasn't that what that wasn't an easy task because you've got your then you've got to balance your primary supplier and your secondary supplier of, you know, your primary supplier may be frustrated that you've actually got a plan B in place and your plan B being frustrated that that's all they are, a plan B. <laughs> so they might never actually get um, any orders. But certainly from our perspective, that was the, um, you know, that was the key. That was the strategy. The 500 triple A's have an alternative source in place as quickly as possible. And that does help mitigate, mitigate risk. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, just on that subject of, well, of, because um, I had an amazing example of this. And it's something, again, that we, that we covered in SIPs of the sort of, diminishing return for achieving higher service level versus the amount of stock required to do that. Um, so for example, I always remember in education again, and this, this again, um, this shows again, the lack of knowledge of sales guys to some extent and the, and the need for stakeholder engagement. But I remember a sales guy coming into into our into the business and saying, I've just done this order um, with a local authority. Uh, it's a real tremendous value order, um, and they and they want ninety eight percent service level. So I've agreed that we can do it. And I said to him, Do you know what that actually means? And he said, well, What do you mean? So well, let's let's, let's say for example, ninety five percent service level usually means for that range of items that you're talking about, that I'm carrying about six million pounds worth of stock. And about like, okay, so, yeah. But do you realize for me to get to 98%, which is only 3% more in service level, I'd probably have to double the stock and buy 12 million pounds worth of stock to achieve that service level. Because once you get beyond sort of 95, those little increments, 96, 97, 
required a tremendous amount of additional stock to go that little stage further. And I was saying to this guy, I said, so, so can I just say to you, if you want me to guarantee 98% service level to this local authority, I'm going to have to double our stock holding from 6 million to 12 million. You want to go and get that approved by the MD? Um, or do you want to go back to your local authority and say to them, um, yeah, we can do that, but we're going to have to put 20% on the price to do so because we're going to have to carry an additional okay. £6 million. Pounds and and oh. to do that, you probably, you know, quite often you end up having to have stuff in stock that is going to sit there for six months. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. One-off one off order. Yeah, that's right. So what happened with <laughs> what happened with this guy was, and it's just lack of understanding. So, <laughs> so what happened with this guy was he went back to the council and and said, you know, are you okay with 95? Because 98, we're going to have to buy some more. more. Yeah, he sort of gave him a brief explanation. but then And the guy at the council said, oh, yeah, yeah, 95 is okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So then, it, but is, the, it is lack of awareness and education, isn't it? It really is. And the sort of but the ramifications, if we'd have committed to that 98, well, we'd have either never have achieved it or we'd have had to buy in a really like disproportionate amount of stock to to achieve it and it wasn't really effective so that's another you are right it's about stakeholder engagement communication and and, and you know after that example i sat down with the rest of the sales guys and said look you need to understand um service level versus stock and the diminishing return beyond a certain point because you can't be going out there committing to 98 and 99% service levels to customers when you don't actually understand what that means. Yeah, exactly. And so when I thoroughly, you know, showed them that curve and explained what it meant, they were like, oh, okay, we, we, we won't commit to anything beyond 95. I said, well, that's good. I said, well, you also need to remember 95 means that, you know, if you order 20 items, I'm carrying 19 minimum. So every now and then, Chances are you'll order 20 items and we'll have all 20. 95 is not not a poor service level um, in in that industry and in that context, that environment. Uh, you know, I've, I've spoke with guys in the NHS that for certain items, they must have 100% service level. You know, if you think it's going for like, a, I don't know, an operation or surgical equipment, then, you know, they will have to guarantee 100% service level, but only on a small range of items. Um, so it just it just doesn't have to emphasize the the importance of this area of of categorizing, stratifying, whatever you want to call it, segmenting your your products and your SKUs. Yeah. There needs to be an awareness across the business because it's not it's not just procurement, it's not just inventory, is it? Like you say, it's sales as well. Yeah, yeah. And finance, to be honest, because finance yeah. Finance, once you're working together with finance, you can work together to try and optimise it to get to that that sweet spot where you're carrying an acceptable value of stock whilst at the same time delivering the required service level. You know, if you can get to that, that, that sort of sweet spot, um, that's when, um, you know, things are going well in your organisation. And your cash, from a finance perspective, Back to where we started with this, your finance guys are comfortable, they're happy because you know your cash position's right, your cash flows is okay, um, and your stock turn 
is is you know hitting targets uh, and things like that. But we'll, yeah, again, again, we'll talk about Stockton and how procurement can influence Stockton uh, in the next one. You, okay. You just the made me. I was just going to say, you just made me think back to my days before the MRP and MRP two and ERP systems. Yeah. When it when managing inventory was very very manual process. Yeah. Literally having to work it out and schedule things that you know we didn't have the assistance of computers and these these software to do it for us. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Just um, so I'm just thinking how far we've come. You know. You know, yeah, 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 definitely, and um, yeah, and, and MRP is an interesting one because I, I don't know about you, but I've worked with um SAP MRP, yeah. um, and and uh, you know SAP MRP. Were a number of times I've had stock control guys come to see me and say the SAP MRP doesn't work, and you'd always find it was down because they put something in wrong, set one of the parameters up wrong, um, but yeah, you are right, the development of you know, if you're working with something like SAP MRP or any ERP MRP system, mm. you've got all your parameters right, then yeah, it makes the job. Um, but, but you keep saying parameters, Gary, and you're absolutely right because, in my experience, it's only as good as as how you set it up in the beginning, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I had one person. I remember. I remember vividly. She came in to see me. This SAP MRP doesn't work, and I said, "Okay, just talk to me about it." So what? What's your item? So tell me the item. So what's what's the lead time? He said, oh, the lead time um, is about 10 weeks. I said, well, what's on the system? He said, well, on the system, it says six weeks. Well, they never, they never deliver in six weeks. They always take at least 10. So I said, well, have you changed the system to say 10? And she went, well, no. I said, well, there you go. Try changing the system to say 10. And let's see exactly. how I can do it. Honestly, Sue, and you're like sat there in the chair going, this is not rocket science. <laughs> but, yeah, I know we had but, the same problems. Yeah, if you feed the wrong the 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 MRP, any MRP is not intelligent. It can't it can't interpret it and say you know what it's not right that. I mean things are getting better. You probably find MRPs in the future will do that and say system says six weeks, but my calculations are saying it's ten. I'll adjust yeah. it. And and I'm, I'm, I'm getting into that machine learning type environment. I'm sure that probably is is starting to being place but but your general mrp you know it's not intelligence so it's only as good as what you feed in exactly. you wrong your answer will be wrong <laughs> but in fairness as well i'm sure that in um in education we had no chance of you know, the ultimate with your mrp is for it to kick out what you should order and for that to automatically go to the supplier um but then you really have got to have perfection in your inputs and the nearest i got to that was automotive when you knew that it was like i don't know two thousand vehicles a month and you knew, and your bill of materials was exactly right it was you would find most cases your mrp output would be like 99 out of 100 right but in in education you know we was reliant on sales forecasts and well i don't really need to move on from there do i <laughs> yeah <laughs> mrp you know mrp2 and erp that from my automotive days where we got to was just amazing that all you'd need is what you know how many cars they were building yeah and then press work it out from there yeah press yeah. the button and dream yeah and i think if you're in that 
predictable, forecastable manufacturing environment, that's where it really does work to a T, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it does. It, it does lean itself to those those type of industries, definitely. Yeah, yeah, we could never. But where it's predictable and stable market. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And your production is, and you can, like in automotive, you could, they could say, well, here's a six, next six months, three months firm, three months tentative of what we're going yeah. to make. In that environment, you can get it really, you know, singing and dancing, can't you? Yeah. Um, but in, in my experience from distribution, you never get anywhere near that. So whatever came out of the MRP, you would have to then, stock stock controller would have to sort of sense check before it went off to the supplier um but yeah okay good stuff mrp um so the other one of the other things i want to mention is obviously again in this environment working together with the warehouse and operations in terms of location so again if <coughs> we should be working closely in inventory management and in procurement with your warehouse managers and operations managers you know, to, to say these are the triple A's, these are the double A's, because in terms of setting up your warehouse and your locations, yeah. clearly you want your triple A's near to you, don't you, for your picking. Absolutely. You know, and your kits, and if, you, if you're making kits, you want you want your triple A's really accessible to the, to the kit making production and very accessible to general picking. So yes. um, this sort of stuff, again, this skew categorization as a, has a big impact on um, unless you're randomly storing your warehouse. But if you're not randomly storing in your warehouse, it has a big impact on yeah. your warehouse locations. Yeah, it, it. We. I mean, I can remember walking through the warehouse when I worked worked in automotive. Walking through the warehouse, um, and and you could just see all the stuff that were the you know the fast movers that were being used daily. That they were really accessible. Um, and then on the top rack were the stuff that they would probably only use once every month, something yeah. like that. You see them, these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's really important. I mean, every business is different, but but I think that understanding and categorising your inventory is key to deciding on your warehouse layout. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I like that point you made about visual. Even you know, if you're walking down that warehouse and that. Where all the A's are, the triple A's, whatever, and visually you can see there's minimal there. You know that should be setting alarms off, shouldn't it? Yeah, I mean in those planning days and stuff, I well, I used to walk the warehouse every single morning before before I started to do yeah. anything because I could visually see if production had taken something without notifying yeah. um, goods in. Um, you know. Yeah, that happens as well, doesn't it? Yeah. And then the first you know is when. You've run out of stock. <laughs> exactly, and I'd visually just check. Oh, they, you know, all, all the chemicals gone. Why is the chemicals gone? And then I say, "Is what's it like on the system?" Oh, it's still showing in stock, and then I knew <laughs> it was going to be a problem. Um, so I'd be on it. But but that visual that visual look was really really important for me. No, that's a really great example of the system says it's there, but you walk down the line and there's nothing like seeing, is there? <laughs> there's but no, a big... it's classic, isn't it? It's yeah. real life. It doesn't matter what the system says. I'm studying it, and there's none on this shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. and then you ultimately you'll trace it to somebody. Oh well, it was an emergency, so I just went and got it. That's like, exactly what they do. Or I didn't know how to complete the paperwork, or I didn't have a gun. Or 
Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, but for you, that's, uh, again, I suppose there you're bound to <laughs> process and communication because that that just makes the job um, incredibly difficult, doesn't and it? And, of course, you don't want to lock it down because when you're in a 24-hour operation, um, you know, yeah. you, you, you want them to not not have any barriers or obstacles to continue in the, running the machines. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely, yeah. Okay, that's a that's a good one for us to <laughs> to close out on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, so as we've been saying throughout this podcast, um, in the next podcast, um, which will probably be more extensive than this one, we'll talk about how procurement has an impact on this. And for me, it's <laughs> it's very very relevant because. I remember in my first director role, I went for the role that was procurement and inventory manager. Procurement and inventory director was the title. And I nearly didn't even apply for this job because even though I'd never run an inventory management function, so I thought, well, they're not going to take me. But when I sat back and thought about it, what I had done is about by then about, I don't know, 12 years of procurement. And the more I sat back and thought about it, the more I realized that actually the inventory management team really are just the recipient of what procurement's done and procurement's impact on inventory management and cash flow is massive. Um, so in the next podcast, that's what we're going to focus on, on is, is how procurement can, um, and the impact of procurement on inventory management and on, and, and on, and on the warehouse and operations as well. Okay. So yeah, so hopefully, um, you know, the these these two podcasts will work well together. Okay. Um much. I look forward to doing that one, Gary. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then, yeah, I think we'll try and do that one um as soon as possible. Um but for today, uh any more from anything else from yourself, Sue? Not from me. I enjoyed that. Thank you. No problem, and thanks very much for being uh with us today again. And um I look forward to the next one. Okay, so cheers, Sue.